0: I am delighted today to welcome Alain Dehaz, Chief Executive Officer of the Adeco Group. Alain, a warm welcome to you. Thank you for having me, uh, Jean-François. Today we have a slightly different setup to this uh, CEO dialogue because I am welcoming two Adeco CEOs. So, Alain, can you please introduce Jordan Topoleski?
1: Yes. I have the pleasure to introduce you to uh, Jordan Topoleski. Jordan is what we call the global CEO for one month. And so among more than 264,000 candidates in 40 countries, he has been selected first as the CEO for one month in the US. And then among the competition with the other CEO of all local subsidiaries, he, he won, the I would say, the pleasure or the nightmare <laughs> to be one month with me and... Uh, Yeah, it has been a wonderful month that we are finishing here at IMD together. So, uh,
0: very pleased with that. And so, we'll discuss this CEO for a Month program in in a few minutes. I think we all know the ADECO Group as one of the world's largest and leading talent advisory and solutions company. The group has about 30,000 direct employees, but in any given year, the group touches the lives of millions of individuals At every level of the organization, from the blue and white collar to senior executives, most of the time to help them find a job, in some cases to help them transition out of a job, and in a growing number of cases to train them for another job. Brief introduction, you started your career in the FMCG industry before moving to the world of services. You joined ADECO in 2009 and become its CEO in 2015. You also have had and still have industry-wide responsibilities, including chairing the board of the Global Apprenticeship Network, being a member of the board of the World Employment Confederation, and since 2017, being a member of the ILO Global Commission on the Future of Work, which draws leaders from across the labor market ecosystem to discuss and share insights and recommendations. And clearly, the world of work has been evolving very rapidly over the last few years. So what are some of your views on the future of work?
1: Just you were referring to the ILO Global Commission, and we started our work in in 2017 with 26, I would say, passionate experts around the future of work. And the purpose was to give a recommendation to the International Labour Organization. The big challenge is to synchronize the displacement of jobs and we speak about 80 millions of jobs being potentially displaced by 2025 but at the same time the opportunity to create more than 90 million jobs thanks to this new economy new platform technology and so on and so the challenge as a company as an individual but also as a government as a country is to make sure that the destruction or the displacement and the creation is at least occurring at the same pace, so that you don't have people left behind by this acceleration of of megatrends. So synchronization is really the the, the challenge. Now, what is the solution? The solution is what we call and what I call a, a tripartite solution. Because not only one stakeholder has to solve this. No, there are three key stakeholders uh, in the solutions. First, the individual. A- and depending on where you live, uh, you have a different perception about your accountability and responsibility about your upskilling and reskilling. And the first thing is that every individual takes into account that 40% of his or her skills is disappearing every three years. So if you don't do anything, after 10 years, you are obsolete on the skill side. So this is very important that you take that into account and you make sure you upskill yourself and sometimes you reskill yourself because you need to to really grab new competencies. So that's the first stakeholder. The second stakeholder is if you as an entrepreneur or as a company, you want to stay competitive uh, on the marketplace, continue to be innovative embed new technology in in, in new products. You must make sure that you have the talent. So you need to invest also in your workforce in order to make sure you stay competitive. What we say also for the business is that you don't have per se to be responsible uh, of the jobs you have, because we know the the labor force is a dynamic object, but you are in charge of your employability or the employability of your people. So that's important that you give them the opportunity to acquire skills that will be valued in the labor force. So that's the point uh, on the second stakeholder. And the third one, we should not forget them, are the governments because the governments they should put in place the framework to have a fluid uh, marketplace and this fluidity can be supported by incentive scheme by infrastructure and so on so that's why we speak about tripartite solutions to really tackle this challenge of synchronization
0: you said 40 percent of capability loss every three years i guess that's an average across different occupations. How was that established?
1: It has been done by study from uh, McKinsey. And I can give you some examples that we have o- already seen in the past. Look at the media and the, the role of journalists and what the journalist was five or seven years ago and what a journalist is. And you see also today technology amplifying the work of the journalist because robots are publishing articles, robots are Getting information to help and support the journalist in in writing his or her article. So the jobs you are doing is completely different. Look at marketing. A marketeer seven years ago doing classical promotion, uh, flyers, and so on. And today, tech marketing, automatic leads, let's say generation, usage of data extremely important all the the data science aspect in the jobs that you need to master also artificial intelligence we see ourselves leverage artificial intelligence to make sure that we find the right candidates at the right time that we anticipate the need for customers so whatever role you have Technology is becoming more and more important. Now,
0: another thing you mentioned is the role of governments. Clearly, the world is a very heterogeneous place and some governments are doing a better job than others. But focusing just for a second on Europe, are governments doing enough on on this front or are we in danger that an insufficient supportive framework, as you described it, will lead to a, a greater imbalance? they are not doing enough i
1: think individuals are not doing enough business are, is not doing enough because the vast majority of the companies don't have a clear plan regarding the skills needed in the horizon of 24 36 months and if you don't have a, a plan you don't have you cannot have a plan to reskill upskill your people so and third the vast majority of government have no real plan, framework in place to really mobilise the business, the individuals to upskill and and reskill themselves in order to be competitive. And there are some exceptions. France has been really inspired by what Singapore has done. So that's really a a step in in the right direction. The German state is also uh, supporting big transformation and big reskilling programme. And we think that it is important if we want uh, the countries staying attractive for the business because the business is also mobile and can go where the talents are. And it is becoming more and more important to locate your work and, and your work is becoming more and more digital fluid, also. But it is important that you can offer to your population the right skills
0: so that they are competitive. Now, I want to turn to Jordan because you are one of these younger workers who increasingly choose flexibility over job security and often choose to work for different employers at the same time, as opposed to what previous generations used to do. So can you tell me how you and and some of your classmates and friends think about your future connection with the job market?
2: Certainly, yeah. I think you're looking at a generation that is entering the workforce in a very tumultuous and even chaotic way. And We've been forced a lot to deal with this uncertainty. I think a really key word is adaptability, like you mentioned. I think this meant a few things for the ways that we're looking at entering the workforce and how we're looking at working in different jobs. The first is really looking at autonomy and thinking about how can we have the room and the flexibility ourselves to be able to explore in a position. You know, we've been forced to have this flexibility, and because of it, it's really reflecting the way we're looking at our job in a greater sense within society. The second piece of that is you're looking at a generation that is seeing the world as maybe a more globalized place. Because of all these changes you've seen from COVID and remote work, we're seeing the world as more opportunity for us. And maybe where our parents or our grandparents in the past have looked at career as more of a linear progression in one company, maybe two companies, we're taking an approach that has a lot more diversity of experiences. You may have heard the term career portfolio for example, thinking how can we build the right portfolio of pieces along the way that makes sense for our experience. So we're looking for companies that have a lot of opportunity for us to have a diversity of experiences and think about how we can do that with multiple companies as well. I think the last piece and maybe the most important one is we've really been pushed to look for purpose in our job. We're zooming out and asking the big questions after this really crazy time where a lot of our values have been challenged and turning around that question on the companies we're working for, asking, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Uh, What is the impact that we're having? And the companies that are able to answer the question of that to us and make us feel like our work is impactful and has a big purpose are the ones that we're likely to come to and turn to in our career path.
0: Now, Related probably to some of these trends and probably a little bit to the purpose one, one of the phenomena that we've been observing, first in the U.S., but increasingly over the last few weeks across the world, is this phenomenon called the Great Resignation, where we have literally millions of individuals who are, in some cases, moving directly to another job, but in other cases, simply just resigning. Now, first question on this uh, Alan, do you see this, the, the impact of this great resignation in some of ADECO's activities?
1: We see, first of all, the statistics. We have surveyed 15,000 people in, in 25 countries, and approximately 4 out of 10 people were considering a, a job change. This is more than usual, okay. but we don't speak and we don't see a great resignation, but we speak about the great revaluation. And why a great reevaluation? Because we see people reevaluating the the life they are they are driving and, and, and the purpose of their. Life. Do I need to stay in a big city or can I move to a second tier or third tier city with much better quality for my family at a lower cost and work in a remote way? And if my employer is not allowing that type of remote work, then I move from one employer to the other. We see two phenomena, especially in the US. 50% of the vacancies that we are looking for or customers in the US have now the option of remote work. And and before the, the COVID, it was really a five to maximum 10%. So this is a big change also for the employers because they know that if they want to be attractive, they need to give uh, autonomy. The second big change, is that in previous recession, you had first the temporary staffing picking up and six to nine months later, the recruitment, uh, the permanent recruitment, because the employers were first looking at the visibility, getting trust about the economy, and then start to hire permanently again. This time, we have simultaneous picking uh, of, of both activities. And it means that employers first, have a need of uh, permanent employees because there is increased uh, attrition, definitely. But on the other side, they also know that if they want to be attractive in a world where there is scarcity of talent, they need to go for more permanent recruitment. These are the two phenomenon we see. In the US, we had a growth of 27% of professional recruitment activities. So it's, it's really huge. We are already... Uh, at the level of 2019 uh, today.
0: Jordan, when you see this great resignation, are, are, are you thinking it took them a while, or are you surprised, or is this a sign of things to come? You think we'll have more of this?
2: I think we will, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. It goes back to that flexibility piece I was talking about. I think when we saw COVID hit, there was this whole shift in perspective, and a lot of employers, I think, weren't ready with the infrastructure their company previously had to embrace this change. And had a lot of people rethinking, is this a company I want to work at if they're not going to be able to embrace this new type of workplace I really want to be a part of? And I think a second piece to that as well is it actually came out recently in a study we did called See the Future. The study we did, it actually surveyed all of the CEO for one month participants in the program from the countries. And what it found is the number one workplace priority for us was mental health. And now on top of that, 74% of the respondents said that the company they're working for is not prioritizing this in the way that they need to be. And even more importantly, only 10% of managers were able to properly cope and find ways to actually spread this to their employees throughout the organization. So to the employees that are sitting there and experiencing this, it's leading them to say, should I look at another opportunity if my manager, my organization, isn't able to provide for me in the mental health realm the burnout
0: realm in the way that i believe should be i think as i'm listening to the two of you one of the thing that strikes me is Time will have to tell what is circumstances and temporary. The use of technology, from our perspective, is a structural change. We will see, of course, some return to face to face, but we will not see a complete return. Technology is here to stay. Let me move on to the Adeco Group. Adeco is one of the world's largest workforce solutions partner. First, tell us how your competitive landscape has been evolving.
1: First of all, yes, we have the largest portfolio of human resource-related services. But we have a common denominator. And the common denominator to all our activities is the talent. And so whatever the profile of the talent, we want to be there to help our customers. Skilled, unskilled, blue-collar, white-collar, highly skilled engineer. Our strategy has been to really become a kind of... One stop shopping partner for our customers because we have seen that with this transforming world, more and more you need to take different skills and capabilities to provide a solution to your customers. I give you one example in the automotive industry. In the automotive industry, big transformation moving to electrified uh, vehicles, and we have designed a skills assessment program, an upskilling program, and a curriculum to reskill people as system engineers in six months' time because we are convinced that it is what is needed for the future. The second topic also in our industry is technology through through AI, through leveraging the data we have. We have launched recently, two and a half years ago, for example, a digital uh, coaching platform called Ezra. Tremendous success. Somehow we are democratizing uh, the coaching, allowing for coaching session and the value of coaching for many more people than just this e- executive coaching that we all know from the past. Huge success, growing 350 percent quarter on quarter since more than three years. We have launched an end-to-end digital platform for recruitment called Hyatt for IT specialists, A- and we see also that we leverage technology for the sake of our customers and, and, and our talents.
0: And do you see more competition from less asset intensive competitors, including some purely tech based competition or not?
1: We are convinced that as a global leader and as incumbent in this field, we have a kind of competitive advantage, especially with the data we have. With the knowledge of the domain, the label law that we have, and the customer network, we have more than 100,000 customers in the world. If I see the success of Ezra, or coaching platform, we are really leveraging both our customers that we have, but also the coaching that we have in the career transition that are also able to do coaching. And this is a unique asset, a unique competitive advantage that we are leveraging thanks to technology.
0: So it sounds like you're operating in a world where size remains a big asset and where the breadth of activity also is an important asset.
1: And more and more, the size of the data you have, this will become more and more important.
0: Have you been acquiring some small startups that came up with great ideas or... Are you able internally to innovate?
1: Ezra is really one of the ideas which came out of our incubation center. And some colleagues have started from scratch this idea very successfully. The other one I was mentioning, Hyatt, has been,
0: in fact, the product of two acquisitions we have done. Now, Jordan, you are actually a tech entrepreneur yourself. and, And I'm sure that you also have a number of friends or people you know who are tech entrepreneurs You've also been getting a glimpse of the ADECO Group. What are some of the advantages startups have in terms of innovation or some of the hurdles, if you want to look at it the other way, that large organizations face compared to you and your colleagues innovating from a tech perspective?
2: I think the biggest one is just when you're smaller size, you're able to iterate in much quicker cycles. It's both a good thing and a bad thing. You don't have many customers, you don't have many employees, because that when you wanna make a decision, it happens in a day, it happens immediately, and you can enact it. And on top of that, it's a very different reporting structure. I think the governance piece is really important. When I see the space I'm working in and talking to friends, reporting to a handful of venture capitalists is very different than reporting to thousands of shareholders at a publicly traded company. And because of that, when you see some of those differences, I think startups have a little bit more propensity to take risk. I think those are the, the first two. Uh, and the third piece is the culture piece. I think at a startup, especially when it's very early stage, employees still have this mission-oriented perspective. I think scaling culture can be pretty difficult. Right. Um, that said, it's been very interesting now for me to come over and see the other side a little bit and how innovation's done that way. They say the piece that differentiates us is we're not a tech company that's trying to move into coaching, for example, with Ezra, but we're a coaching company. That's our core bread and butter that we've been working on for 50 years at LHH, for example, and we're augmenting it with tech, Uh, you know, tech to help, but not tech as the main delivery piece. And that human component, especially in the world right now, emerging from COVID is just such an important piece to our clients and the end users that we're serving.
0: What I'm hearing is that ADECO seems to have been able to leverage the strength it has and not let the fact that it's not a native digital company get in the way.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm coming from San Francisco. And what you see there is a very tech-driven culture. And here it's in the core of what ADECO's vision and mission is, which is make the future work for everyone. It's an extremely people-oriented environment. And that's a piece I've seen time and time again, uh, learning from Milan and learning from so many leaders at the group, is that's the core piece that really differentiates an organization. I use this example of coaching in particular in saying that tech, I think where it's really powerful is to enable services, it's not to completely replace them. And what we've done, I think, at the group that's been very powerful is use it in a very augmented way. It's how can you embed that where it's helpful, not just tech for the sake of tech, but tech for the sake of automating impact
0: and expanding the reach that your core services can have. Now, I want to shift to the CEO for a month program. Why did Deco start it? What are the benefits that the organization was looking for? And what are the benefits that you've been getting out of this program?
1: This program has been started as a local initiative in 2011 in Norway. And all young local country managers had this idea to, yeah, to provide experience to youngsters, to local youngsters, by shadowing him for one month. And so starting with this idea in mind, we started to internationalize this concept. And today we are in more than 40 countries. And every year we propose to to one of, of the candidates to shadow our local country head for one month. At the same time, now we are also uh, starting to give uh, opportunity to also to shadow other functions in the local companies, in all local subsidiaries. The purpose of the program is to really provide experience and, and let's say, to augment your employability thanks to the program. But it is the impact that we as the ADECO Group have on the 264,000 young people that have uh, put uh, forward uh, their CV, they have candidated, and all of them have received value being a candidate in this program because we have them to enrich their CV, to structure the CV. Some of them they went to boot camp, how do you present yourself, how do you define what you want to do and so on. And this is the purpose, again, to make the future work for everyone and everyone in this case is for, for the young generation.
0: Uh, so, so is this a purely philanthropic sort of activity. Is there also some benefits for the group?
1: There are two benefits for the group because, yes, we fulfill our purpose on one hand, but on the other hand, I'm getting a great reverse mentoring from Jordan this year, one month long. He has been with me. We will discuss today his astonishment report. I'm asking them to to produce one astonishment report at the end of their month with me so that I can learn with their eyes, their ears, how they have seen us and what we could improve. The second also benefit of this program is that we have uh, great candidates join who have the ability after when they have completed their study to join us or join our customers because our customers are also very interested in these
0: candidates. Okay, so it is also a way of connecting yeah. with I think you said two hundred sixty-four thousand people. Absolutely, Jordan, you applied for this program. How did you hear about it, and why did you apply? What were you hoping to get out of it?
2: Uh, I was just coming off of a role working at a startup and looking for new opportunities and. I'd done some consulting in the past with large organizations, but never worked at one, uh, let alone been in a leadership position at one, and I was very keen to see what that experience was like. I was really interested in seeing, first, what sort of the, the blueprint of operations was for a Fortune 500 company and maybe the differences of how that's run from a startup. And the second thing was how digital and innovation is run in such a large environment that, as a company scales, how can you keep that entrepreneurial spirit within the environment and within the company? And, This program looks like there's pretty much no better opportunity to experience it firsthand than this. How did you hear about it? Yeah, I heard about it on LinkedIn initially through some posts through the group.
0: Anna, in a a recent Forbes article, they described you as kinder and more humble and more approachable perhaps than the stereotypical CEO. I guess one question I had was, do you recognize yourself in in this description? And, And even more specifically, I wanted to ask you, how would you describe the leader that you want to be and, and that you're trying to be, that you strive to be?
1: You need to lead, and you need to lead not by power, not by fear, but you need to lead by inspiration, by conviction, by motivation, by engaging your people around you. And I think you can't inspire, motivate, engage people around you if you don't connect, if you don't interact with these people. As human beings, we are all equal. I think I'm very accessible and it is very well appreciated because I think that this accessibility allows us to go faster, deeper. You are not working on, on false information or assumptions. It gives also me the opportunity to, to check assumption very rapidly by being in contact with the field people.
0: So it sounds like some of... Some of the drivers of who you are as a leader come from your education and experience. Are there other aspects that you're you're working at or are you, quote-unquote, a natural and everything comes easily to you? Aspects that
1: are not uh, easy is the accessibility because if you're accessible, it means also it's time-consuming. And I always say in, in these people and in this company, in this industry, pardon, you need to love people. Because if you don't love people, you are not successful. Right. It's all about people for people with people. All supply chain are people. All product is people. And all customers are people. So it's really, if you don't like this people aspect, it's very hard to be extremely successful.
0: To tell you the truth, there are mornings where I find it more difficult to love people are there days where you got to work at it and if so how do you work at it how do you talk to yourself
1: those days i'm thinking to what could be worse <laughs> and definitely when it is really hard and i have i have had specific private and professional situation where it has been extremely hard and then I benchmark the current situation with what I've had in in the past. And then it gives me energy, and especially also the team gives me energy.
0: Now, Jordan, you've been watching him for a month now, and you've been watching him interact with a number of of stakeholders and do what CEOs do. What are some of your your reflections?
2: Yeah, I think there are uh, two key observations I'd love to share. The first is really a point Alan was just talking about, which is the importance of people. And I think it's really easy as a younger student, for example, when you're studying in school to really just think of business as the fundamentals or maybe the hard skills, but I've been really enlightened to see a lot of the soft skills. Uh, I think it's especially true with a leader like Alan and a group like ADECO where, like you were saying, people is such a core part of right. our mission, our vision and everything that we do. Uh, a great statement that a colleague shared with me in the group was, at a P&L isn't just profit and loss. It's also people and leadership. And I think that's really embodied in the way that the company operates. Uh, there's a framework in specific that Alain shared with me that I think about a lot. It's called the three C's of people management. And it's culture, collaboration, and coaching. And I think this f- framework is universally, I thought about it in context of startups and that scene I've seen in the past. I thought it of it in the context of a Fortune 500 organization. And I think the organizations that are really able to invest in this and embody it as part of their mission, invest in talent development and really keep that as a focus of their organization, tends to be the ones that succeed in the long run. So that was the first observation, just saying, wow, people is such a core part of business. The second piece was looking at corporate innovation and digital innovation. A really interesting piece for me is seeing Within such a large organization structure, how can we still remain on the cutting edge? And boy, was it an interesting time to see that at the group. There's been a lot of movements recently from activating our future at work strategy that Wilan was talking about, where we're really rethinking how we define our business and the different units from $2.1 billion acquisition of Aka technologies to double down on our tech capabilities to seeing how we both have an incubation hub where companies like Ezra are coming out, and also acquisitions from general assembly to hired and seeing how those are being developed. When I'm looking at that, it was a lot into change management as well. And I think the first point that came to me is how important it is to have clear and consistent messaging that when there's so much change happening, and I remember a story, we were at a branch talking to an employee, a colleague of ours, And he said, I've been here for 20 years and never have I felt this change in the air. He said, it feels like we're awakening the sleeping giant. Now, with that, you know, comes a lot of excitement, but there's also risk there. And the biggest piece of it is communication. And the second piece was how you can structure an organization to have that. We're really focused on how can we grow our venture footprint? How can we have an incubation lab, for example, where we invite colleagues, specific colleagues, in fact, that it's their full-time job to say, How can we find synergies within our business and complement them with new ventures? How can we stay on the cutting edge? And I think that's really important is to have a little bit of separation there where there's able to be untainted innovation where it's looking at it from an outside original startup perspective and then coming back with the group and seeing where you can leverage the 50 plus years of experience we have at the Decker Group to make
0: it a success. Now, sometimes when you watch somebody else, you learn stuff about them and about the organization. But sometimes learning stuff about others and an organization helps us identify things about ourselves. Is there an insight or two about yourself that you're ending this month with?
2: I think the most key one is how dynamic leadership is. And I think this role of the CEO in particular really necessitates it because you'll go from an investor meeting in the morning uh, to a leadership development session in the afternoon. You have to be able to wear lots of hats and know the audience that you're talking to. And to me that led to a lot of reflection and saying, it's not a one size fits all bucket. You have to be able to keep in mind the people you're talking to, the audience you're talking to, and really imagining how you best convey a message. And I think we talk about that a lot, how EQ is becoming the most important skill of the future. And I've seen that here, why that's so important. Because going back to the original point, every business is a people business. And understanding those interactions as a leader, as someone
0: whose core mission really is to inspire a group and drive the strategy is just so important. But that's you telling me about something you learned about leadership. It's not uh, what you learned about Jordan. I think that applies directly to myself.
2: You can never stop learning. (laughs) And it was very interesting for me to see Elan, for example, at a very different stages of career, quite obviously, than where I am now, just starting mine. How important it is that the acceleration of learning continues to stay the same throughout your career. So it really challenges me to say, how can I keep that new brain activated in everything that I'm doing?
0: What's next for you?
2: Yeah, so I'll actually be headed back to the States. I have two semesters left of my university experience, and from there we'll see. I think I'll be in in touch with the group.
0: Thank you very much to both of you for your presence, of course, but also for your insights and your candor. It was really a pleasure. Thank you for having us, us,
2: Jean-Francois. Yes, thank you very much.
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. To hear more such interviews as soon as they come out, click subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this. You can also find a range of forward-thinking analyses, business intelligence and insights in our new magazine and content ecosystem called i by imd you will be able to register by clicking in the link that appears in the show notes of this episode thank you for listening and until next time